Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. And hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 63. Uh, I hope everyone's doing well. It is good to be with you. And I am looking very forward to today's episode, uh, even though it is a little outside the pit. As I mentioned uh, at the end of the year, uh, the previous year, 2021, this is only the second episode of 2022 so far, um, I did mention that I wanted to branch out a bit uh, with some specific episodes uh, going forward. And I've, I've thought about it since the past episode. I'm not really branching out. What I'm doing is changing who the intended listener is for the episodes. So some of the episodes that, uh, that we do are for people who want to know about pit musicians, who want to know what it's like to be a pit musician and what it's like in the pit. This, thus the title, <laughs> Life in the Pit. But then I'm going to have some episodes that are tailored more toward people who are already musicians or they are music students who are studying to become professional musicians and not just any musician, but the type that is most likely to accept work in musical theater, and that is freelance musicians. So not necessarily those who have a tenured job uh, at a university, um, although certainly they can play in the pit as well, and not those who have full-time jobs in a symphony orchestra. So there's going to be types of musicians that may not get much out of these episodes, but there are a lot of musicians who simply, the best way that they that you can describe what you do is you are a freelance musician. That would be myself. Uh, I play in the pit. I do music directing for shows, but I also do a lot of arranging, composing. Uh, I'm a music director uh, for a local church. And... One of the things that I do that so many freelance musicians do is that I am a private teacher. And I teach piano, I teach music theory, composition, songwriting. There was a time I used to uh, teach French horn to beginners until I sold my horn uh, and just decided to pare it down to those other things that I do. Most of my, most of my teaching being to piano students. And one of the things I've noticed uh, over the first several dozen interviews is that probably at least half of the guests that I have talked to have some form of private studio. Uh, sometimes it's a huge private studio. It might be um, you know, 20, 30, 40 students that you have on a regular basis. Uh, and in some cases, it may just be a few students here and there. It A lot of it depends on what percentage of your income pie uh, teaching needs to be compared to your performance income and other sources of income. But so many of us, that is a, it's a very helpful way. It's a way to communicate our skills to others. And as any good teacher will tell you, the, the more you think about how to explain it is what you do, the, the better you become as a performer or just understanding the instrument yourself. So it, it is helpful in more ways than one to the, to the people that we're teaching. Uh, 
but also to ourselves. Um, but one problem that a lot of teachers have is that we either have a lack of knowledge or a lack of experience in treating what it is we do like a business. So if you are a pit musician, chances are somebody, uh, a contractor or a, a theater board or somebody is sending you asking for a W-9 or, uh, you know, possibly some other tax form if it's really um, a heavy portion of your income, if it's a big check. But, um, and, and you probably don't get a whole lot of say in your rate. You really just have a say of whether or not you accept the gig at the given rate uh, or not. But when you are the owner of your private studio, you need to think about things like, how much do I charge? Am I charging enough for what I'm worth? And then you also have to think about things like, how do I advertise my services? How, uh, and this is more than just like, how do I get set up to teach? Am I going to do it online? Or am I going to do it out of my home? Or am I going to do it um, at a music store? There's, you know, there's a lot of decisions. But on the business side, besides what I mentioned, also, um, how do I get people to pay? That's a, that's a big deal. Um, and, and, and what kind of forms of payment are you going to accept? And so forth. So I have brought on a special guest today, uh, and that is Eric Branner. Eric Branner lives in Seattle, Washington, and he is the co-founder um, and co-creator of an app, a digital platform called Fonz. In the course of our conversation, I'm going to let Eric explain to you what Fonz actually is. Uh, and, you know, we're probably only going to be scratching the surface, but in essence, it is something that can help solve that problem of how do I get payments? Uh, what kind of payments do I charge for? Also, how can I keep track of my schedule? If you are a busy freelance musician, Fonz is an ideal solution for helping you with the business side of things. But there are some things that it doesn't do, such as some of the other questions that we asked. Are, are you charging a good amount so that you can make a healthy income? As, as all musicians who have studied for years, um, if, if, you are, if you are doing a good job, you deserve to make a good living. And in our upcoming conversation, Eric has quite a bit to say about uh, just this business side and um, a great topic that he has mentioned on several podcasts and I had him talk about here is this concept of perceived value. So even if you are someone who normally comes by for the pit musician experience, or maybe you're trying out this for the first time, scratching your head and saying, where's the pit music? But you might be a private teacher or you would like to be able to do this as part of what you do. This is a very important episode. And again, we're going to talk more about Fonz later on. Just keep that name in mind. You'll be hearing that quite a bit. And without further delay, let's jump in. Here is my conversation with Eric Branner. Eric, thank you for taking time to chat with me today. And it is, uh, as I said before we started recording, Good to finally meet you. I think I've been following you for on Twitter for a while. One of us followed the other maybe two or three years ago. And um, 
it's just good to finally meet you in person. It's it's great to meet you too. Yeah, I I love connecting with with people you meet through social media. It's awesome. Right, and each of the social media platforms is kind of interesting. You know, you I I feel like you and I are probably two good examples of people kind of open up a little bit more on Twitter in these small little bits. You know, of just things going on day to day, whereas uh, Facebook maybe a little bit more contrived or, or at least a little more curated might be the right word, you know, just sort of things that we're trying to share and so forth. And then of course there's Instagram and um, which I don't do as much as I should w- w- for personal. I, I It's where I do most of the work for the podcast, but you know, just kind of how all these different social media platforms line up. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I, f- I feel like Twitter is such a great platform for connecting with like-minded people and also learning, Oh yeah. you know, and, and what I've been working on the last couple of years, I've learned so much from Twitter by following people that are, you know, doing this and building in public, you know, people that are doing their projects and talking about the day to day, like you were saying and what they're experiencing. It's just, it's a really great format. Um, and I, I feel like I get a lot of value out of it. It feels more authentic to me than LinkedIn for professional relationships. Right. And Instagram's fun, but that's so much about image branding. Right. Right. And trying to be like, oh my gosh, look at how much fun I'm having. Look yeah. at me playing in the snow with my dog. Right. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I really, I, I try to take a little time every day to study Twitter. Right. The people that I follow on Twitter. One of the reasons I do podcasts is I listen to a lot of podcasts. You know, it's just one of those one to give back on a, on topics that I could offer that not everybody else does. Um, but I listen to a lot of music and a lot of business podcasts. And uh, one of the ones is Crushing Classical. And I saw that there was a guest, Eric Branner. Uh, was one of the guests. I was like, what, that name sounds familiar. And I just went to Twitter. They're like, oh, yeah, it's you. And I uh, heard you talk about Fonz. And we're going to talk more, of course, about uh, Fonz and, and what it was you did there. And uh, I've since then, I've found a few other podcasts you've done. So you're, you're a veteran at being a guest on these things by now. <laughs> yeah, it's a great time. Yeah, Tracy, I love Tracy's podcast. That was really fun right. being on that with her. Yeah, I, I also especially loved, uh, you did a couple of interviews, um, I guess, with Carly on uh, Teach Music Online. She's awesome. Right. Yeah, I, she does great work. I heard your one with Heidi, uh, is that her Flute 360 yeah. uh, podcast? And then what was, there was one other one, uh, oh, it was uh, Music Studio Startup. Startup. Yes, with yeah. Andrea Miller. Yeah, yeah she's so, so cool. So... Um, I think one thing that might be kind of interesting just for this podcast is, uh, uh, well, maybe with the exception of Heidi, but most of those other podcasts have been focused on music studio teaching, which I know is what Fonz, you know, well, Fonz helps with a lot of things, so we'll talk about that. Um, So my audience is, if I can kind of dissect it into two overly stereotyped generalizations here, uh, the first would be uh, people who no pit musicians or are interested in those who play for theaters like the so it's the people under the pit the guitarists the keyboardists and all that that are doing all these styles playing by ear sight reading uh but they're not they're not on stage they're not the ones that the audience actually came to see but they're putting in all this work the same amount of work as all these other musicians so uh what goes on under the pit i think that's about half mm-hmm. my audience and the other half i would kind of put into current pit musicians and aspiring pit musicians. So you've got those that are, you know, doing the job, but they'd like to get better gigs. Um, 
you know, increase their odds of success. And then you have music students who, this is just one of the many things they're considering doing. And so what they would like to know is, you know, one, how can I be more successful? But what I'm trying to also ask in 2022 and answer for them through guests like yourself is what can you do when you're not playing in the pit to avoid having to go get a non-musical job? Because that was something that I that got me into teaching 22 years ago. <laughs> and um, and and I and I've heard you say before it's a, uh, that, that phrase you're a let's see if I got it right third generation music teacher. Is that correct? <laughs> yes. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, my, my grandfather was a fabulous concert classical pianist, but he also had, you know, a big band back in the day in the forties and played with all the big, the big folks. And, uh, you know, he was, he was just a killer player. And then he settled and became a band director, uh, in the, in the rural area where I grew up and right. he was a big part of that scene. So I grew up seeing the impact of what kind of uh, a multifaceted musician can do and what kind of life they can make. Right. Right. You know, he was a really classy, cultured, uh, fantastic individual that just shaped so many people's lives through his music and his teaching and his direction. Uh, so that was a huge influence on me. And I, I love what you said about the idea of musicians not having to do non-musical work to get right. by. Right. right. And, you know, my wife is an actor and we've always called that the income quilt. Right. Right. Like what are the things that we do to make things work for these last 20 years and, and hopefully staying as close to our focus, to our training, to our art as we can. Right. And understanding that there are times in life when you become interested in other things, like you use this, yeah. there's also the reality that the skills that we've developed as artists can really be applied to anything. Right. Right. You know, I mean, I'm building a technology company now. Right. And you know what I used to love saying? It's like, it's not as hard as learning to play a Bach fugue well on the guitar, which <laughs> I'm now learning that it kind of is. But, right. <laughs> uh, you, you know, it's, uh, yeah, there, there's, there's lots of different paths that can be taken and lots of different angles to go about it. Right. Um, and, and this is not to say that it's, it's a bad thing to have a non-musical job. Uh, I know I have some friends that are great musicians and they prefer the segregation. It's like they want kind of like, this is what I do in the daytime. This is what I do in the evening. Um, but I think it, there are a lot of people that are like, if I could make music the whole thing, that would be a success. And that's actually how I kind of had to evolve as I was growing up. Because when I was in high school and early college, I had to be a film score, a film composer on the level of John Williams, or it was not a success. And then I realized that's mm. harder than it sounds. <laughs> and I need to rethink this. And so I need to think, how can I just keep it on music? And teaching was a natural way to... Oh, I guess a natural piece of the quilt is how we might say it. <laughs> you know, David, I love, you know, the, you just you just touched on a topic that I think is we could spend a week talking about right. and philosophizing about, which is the idea of art and making music and like money and, mm -hmm. and the way those three areas come together. is like when I'm creating art for the sake of beauty or for connection or self-expression, mm -hmm. I do not want to be thinking about money. Right. Right. And so I really respect the people that do separate those worlds. Right. You know, there and, and throughout history, if you look at so many different artists, you yeah. know, that have had day jobs and right. have created great work because they were able to be so authentic in their expression. Right. And then there's the other type that say, Oh, I need to make my money through my hands and through my expression. Yeah. You know, whether you're doing you know, you're doing gigs, you're a hired gun. Uh, and you know, it's it's such a tenuous tightrope 
Right. Right. Because we're creatives, we're artists, we're sensitive. We want to seek self-expression. We have to feed ourselves and then someday maybe feed our families. And so it becomes a real complicated uh, dance to become to stay and remain an authentic human being. Right. Right. Exactly. And so, and I think that's kind of the, the beauty of it. No, but I, we have, I think what you were saying is, is you made a really great point, which is like a really good one to talk about. It's like, yes, I, you and I both discovered teaching right. as a great way. My grandfather as a great way to make a living and be honest and having an impact on other people. Right. Right. And exactly. the great thing about what I found about teaching is I love gigs too. Right. Exactly. But I would, you know, I was a, classical guitar player. So like a gig meant like a recital or like a wedding or, you know, what a guitar competition that wasn't just like something I could do every week to pay my bills. Exactly. Right. Where a lesson was something that could show up every week for years. Mm-hmm. Right. And help me give me a consistent stream. And I think anybody listening, especially people that are doing pit work right now, or that are gigging musicians, I mean, we've just lived through the most impossible trying time for gigging musicians that anyone's ever fathomed. Right. right. And we're still we're still doing it and somehow we're getting by. Right. But you have to be, um, I love the idea of something called situational awareness. Yeah. Which is like, there hasn't been any gigs. Mm-hmm. There have been a ton of people stuck at home wanting to learn and to express themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so many people were able to be like, okay, cool. I know I'm not on the road right now, but I'll, I'll teach now. Right. Exactly. Right. And I'll find that I'm making a great living and I'm happy. And, you know, we, we have to, you know, we have to kind of fit into the, the environment that we're stuck in. Right. right. And look for our own opportunities. Right. Uh, to take it back to just the whole concept of, you know, some people make music their full thing and some people make music kind of a part time thing while they do something else. I think whatever you do, um, if you put in the time and effort to become a great musician, you should be able to make a very good living what you do. And this is something I know that we agree uh, quite Hardly on. And um, as you just mentioned, a lot of people, when they're not having gigs, they they teach. And that's one of the things I've been trying to take note when I've been interviewing all these guests, whether it's the band director in the Midwest who plays for community theater, or whether it's someone in Broadway, you know, someone who's touring. But most most of the guests have some kind of teaching gig, you know, whether it's a studio that they have all the time, uh, or it's something they do in between shows. And, you know, so I, I just realized this is something, this is a likely way for a lot of people to, you know, who want to be in the pit, want to play for theater to make some, to make some money. Now, before we go on, I want to, I do want to ask you real, real quickly, just, uh, so I didn't bring you on here as a theater guest, you know, that I, I brought in to talk to you about, uh, you know, uh, studio, but uh, have you played for theater before? Have you ever done anything for a musical or anything like that? I have. Yeah. Many, many times over the years I've had gigs. I would not consider myself an inveterate pit musician, but I can read well as a classical player, but I also grew up playing like a lot of rock and right. jazz and different styles. So uh, what's I've some really shows enjoyed- you played? Oh my gosh. I've done some really, I mostly experimental theater through, uh, my connections with my wife and in the Seattle theater scene. Nice. Uh, and I've done, I've, I've done some school productions, um, and some college productions that I've been hired for, which I've had a great time doing. Uh, I was coming on here. I was going to, you know, and I think I did like a local, like a, 
uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Oh yeah. You know, I don't. I do not. I do not have enough of a resume playing as a pit musician that I would even put it on my resume. Right. Right. But uh, you know, I would consider myself more of a session player and a teacher and a recording artist. But right. I've always loved it. Like it right. had such a great time doing it. But you've had enough experience. You kind of know what goes into it and what it's like. So that's that's always absolutely. Great. Yep. Okay. Good. Um, so what I want to talk about first is um, again. I, know I have some listeners who are music students are thinking about how do I get started? And one of the things that they'll want to get started with is, well, how do I get started teaching? So what's a thought that, what's some advice you might have for someone who has no students and wants to go ahead and begin teaching? What, what is something you'd recommend in 2022 with today's marketing practices that they might consider doing? Oh, you know, I would say a couple of things. You know, one is that you're probably talking about someone that's, you know, kind of younger. Yeah. That may doesn't have a lot of experience in this is the power of youthful enthusiasm. Yep. <laughs> you know, I remember when I started teaching to, you know, get pay my way through college and, you know, that was one of my gigs I did. And then after college, I wasn't nearly the teacher I am now. Right. Uh, but I loved it so much. I still was so close to music. I was still learning it that I was a very impactful teacher. And I know yeah. a lot of my students I taught at that point. So the other is mindset, mm-hmm. right? The mindset is to say, I've got a skill that people really need, right? right? And, I, and, and I mean, I, I, this is a theme that I come back to a lot, which is that the reality in life of what makes us happy, mm-hmm. right? As a guitar player growing up, I thought happiness would mean playing on an arena stage, right? One of those big bands we're talking about and like having the spotlight be on me. And that was like my dream. And to be then to be like a famous classical musician, but over time, you realize that happiness comes from serving others, right? Right. And after you've been teaching for some time and you have the mindset or whatever it is you're doing, that you're giving back, that you're helping someone else in their journey to be more authentic, creative person, happy person, uh, that creates great joy within yourself. And right. I try and people that I talk to, they're embarking on their teaching careers. I'm like, dude, hey, don't undersell yourself because you're young. Right. You should, you know, you should, you have an education, you have a skill, people want that skill, you know, all the data points that for the next decade, there's not nearly enough music teachers. Right. Right. There's people that are professionals out there that are our age that have a really great, you know, Les Paul sitting on the wall or something that they, they bought, they don't know how to play. They want that instruction. They can afford it, you know, and these are lawyers that charge $400 an hour for their time. Yeah. Right. So as you, a guitar teacher, come up and say, well, I'm $120 or whatever you're charging for a lesson to them, that's totally appropriate. And so the third piece is to have that mindset that you deserve to make a living, you know, enthusiasm, understanding your impact and then uh, and and then realizing you deserve to make a living. If those come together and this in any artistic pursuit, if you value yourself, uh, you will you just need one client. Right. And this is everybody I talk to. They get one kind of great client that they work with and they love and they invest in. They maybe show up to that client's first open mic or that client's first gig they do or whatever. Then they get five clients, you know, and, and you see this with people that, that come at this, not from a jaded perspective Mm -hmm. of like, Oh man, I didn't get the gig. I guess I'll teach. You know, that's right. That's not, that's not an attitude that's going to help the world. So uh, it, it's it's something I feel really passionately about. I feel like having a creative gift and an artistic gift and being patient with mm-hmm. people who don't is a really meaningful way of devoting some of your energy. Right. You know, there was a summer camp one time I was doing with, with some youth and it was a mixed elementary, middle, high school age production of Beauty and the Beast. 
And, you know, it was one of those teach, teach the kids a show that they can do off book in two weeks, you know, and it pretty, pretty intensive process. And the day of their opening night, so we're doing rehearsals all day, one of the uh, maybe 15-year-old kids there, he just got everybody's attention and said, hey, we get to do this. We don't have to do this. Other people would like to do this, but we get to do this. I just thought that was great wisdom coming from such a young mind. <laughs> we get to do this. I love, yeah, that's beautiful. Nice. Um, what? So, so uh, if you have no students, where where would you find that student? What are some options? You know, like I know you're in Seattle. You're you're in you know in a pretty big area. But what are what's something that might work for someone who lives in maybe more of a mid sized town? Oh, it, you know what? It doesn't matter what town you're in. Yeah. You know, and th- this is the deal. Like everybody can delve into a community, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody, you know, that's our, as artists, we are not going to get a job for Starbucks where you just show up and go to work. If you want to do that, that's great. But if you're going to try to support yourself, you have to look for opportunity. Right. Right. And so what, you know, I got my first student in Seattle. Yeah. I worked at a, a corner grocery store. I was just telling this to a friend this morning and I would take my guitar in and practice my tremolos for a, a competition that was coming up behind the counter. And yeah. it was like a mom came in with her daughter and was like, Hey, do you teach? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I do. And that's how I got my first client when I first moved to Seattle. And mm. then I taught at a music school. Right. right. And I, and I loved it. I learned a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a great opportunity for a lot of people that are younger to get and kind of see how the gig works. Right. And then I went out on my own and started my own school. Right. So I, I I think that the the there are so many like when people are like when you look online like oh here's this fa- do Facebook ads do Google ads, sure those are all ideas but if you're just starting out mm-hmm. you don't need thirty leads you need someone that you connect with yeah. that hopefully you find joy in the process right right so through our communities you know reaching out and saying hey everybody I'm I'm starting to teach I've got a couple openings you know uh, what it's I call it the hustle phase mm-hmm. right you're looking yeah. for opportunity. You're seeing who you can help. Uh, if you were like, um, if you're more into like a band instrument, mm-hmm. you know, offering to help your local band director who yeah. they've had a really tough couple of years. I'm sure you've probably heard this. Yeah. Uh, and reaching out. Every high school has one and saying, hey, how can I help? Is there anything I can do? You need some help with combos? Can right. I do this? And, you know, it's really about how can I help? How can I inject myself? That, that always pays the dividend that fancy marketing and Instagram and all that stuff. Right. Yeah, that's something cool down the road, but you know, and especially at a smaller community level, like right. if you're dealing in a, in a smaller town or a secondary market, going out, seeing how you can help, finding two to three clients who then you can give everything to, and then who can who can afford you, right? right. And then who can start spreading the word about you, right? Uh, this actually just brings back a memory of a previous episode. Uh, uh, my guest said the phrase, just being around, you know, talking about like, how can you get gigs of certain kinds? Well, go to, go to events, <laughs> be there, uh, chat with people and show you know, up. this is kind of an old, yeah, just show up. So this is just kind of an old school approach that still works today. Um, you might have to have a mask on when you do it, but <laughs> just being there really, really makes a big difference. Um, so let's transition to rates. You know, uh, you, you said something on one of the podcasts I listened to recently, uh, and it challenges me 
personally, uh, because and, and I think it's something that I need to look at. So I want to go and have you address it here. And, and it was actually it was made by the host, but I think you agreed with it. Uh, the statement, don't compare your rate to that of other teachers in your area. Because this flies in the face of conventional wisdom that people are always saying. It's like, you got to see what everyone else in your area is charging and then scale it accordingly. And uh, and I can see you shaking your head. So uh, go ahead, tell us, why is that a bad idea and what should we be doing instead? Well, I don't think it's a bad idea, but what I think would be really helpful and, and mm-hmm. brief is to introduce the idea of perceived value. Yeah. Okay? And... Because what we do as musicians is we often come from a mindset of who we've studied with, how things have been done before, um, historically, musicians being underpaid. And the economy is very different now. Mm -hmm. And if we understand this concept of perceived value, let's say both you and I have the exact same skill set. Right. Right. And we're in the same town and we have the same bubbly personality. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you charge $50 an hour and I charge $150 an hour. Right. Right. And you might think to yourself, oh my gosh, I'm going to get so many more clients than Eric does because mm-hmm. I charge a third of what he does. Right. But the reality is that is not how economics work with the idea of something called perceived value. Right. I'm a lawyer. I make $450 an hour. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw that out there as an example. Right. I see both of your rates. The person who's charging more, I assume they're better. Right. Right. Because I want what's best, especially for my child, if someone's paying for the goods. And this concept is very meaningful because, A, it helps elevate the entire profession of what we're doing to, to at least saying, hey, we deserve to make as much as a car mechanic, maybe. Right. Right. So I like to look not what other teachers are charging, um, but maybe what is my, what's my plumber charging per hour? Right. My plumber's 200 bucks an hour right now that I right. just had come over for an hour. I mean, um, I'm a highly trained um, changer of people's lives. And so this... You know, I, I, what, the thing we haven't been able to see, and we have this data from thousands of people all right. over the country, uh, and it and it started, I can tell you where it began. It began with this guy named Rob Hampton, who had a website called Heartwood Guitar mm-hmm. uh, and back in the early 2000s. And, you know, he was teaching very well-known, affluent people um, and was charging like two or three times what anybody else was. And he had like a two-year waiting list. I was getting phone calls. From people that are like, I tried to get on Hampton's list and I'm just tired of waiting. Mm. And so I looked up his website and I was like, man, this guy doesn't have a music degree. He's got a degree in, you know, I think English from Stanford, but he's a great, he's a friend of mine. He's a great guitarist. Uh, he's a great teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but he had mastered this a decade before anyone else did. Right. And the the beauty of it is that it helps you. The, other, the second idea is it helps you find your ideal client. Mm-hmm. Right, the person who respects you and is willing to pay for your time, yeah, they're going to respect you and pay for your time. Right. If I'm making enough money to support my family and buy this house and have the studio by teaching guitar, right. I'm so grateful that mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a great service. It 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 turns into a flywheel. Right. Right. And it's something that you know I'm every day that I talk to musicians, I'm like, oh my gosh, you've got to value yourself. Your community wants to, and then there's always the pushback. Well, what about equity? Mm-hmm. And I love that question because it's like, oh my gosh, yes, I charge this much because anybody that I need to work with, I don't have to charge them. Right. Right. This system gives me equity, right? It allows me to have an open heart and to reach out to people and to make a great living. Uh, and the reality, you know, in the last, I was just talking with someone about this. In the last couple of years, I've had one person balk at my at my rate for teaching. 
Right. And that person was the CFO of a national insurance company. Mm. And I was like, we're not going to be a great fit. Like I was just like shocked. Right. A single parent school teacher will be like, oh, I see the value in what you're doing. I'd pay that. And I'd be like, no, let me give you a deal. Right. Right. Because I see who you are. Um, But the, the practice for all of us as musicians is to lift the tides by valuing ourselves and knowing right. that it is a, it's a marketing tool, Yeah. right? It's not just so you can pad your wallet. It's like appropriate to say, I'm a professional. I deserve to make this much. I want you to respect me. Yes. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, it's something I believe in really deeply. And I also see work right. constantly. Right. And as you say, it also becomes the start of a cycle because if your perceived value is high and you're making more than you th- thought that you were going to, well, then you get waiting lists and you got to raise your rates. So, and this is, by the way, this is, I want to speak to my pit musicians and aspiring pit musicians for a moment. Um, this is maybe a little bit different uh, and very important consideration because w- playing for theater, that is not something where you can typically choose your rates. It's like, here's what we our budget is for musicians. So now you might be in a position to choose your gig, but maybe not. Because if you don't have that much experience or you haven't developed your skill to the level required, well, the higher paying gigs are not going to not going to hire you. You know, so this is something where you really have to prove yourself to go up to the level of the higher gigs. You have to also be in the right place, willing to live the right lifestyle. So, but maybe for those who are just playing for schools or community theaters, you know, and, and are filling up the time doing other things. Um, this is something where you need to offset this fixed income that's going to come in from that gig that you don't really get a say in with something where you do get a say in. And, and I think really important for me in hearing all this is, it's also a way to kind to to filter through your prospective students because I've heard this and, and probably every private teacher's heard this at least once. Um, well, we missed a, a lesson last last month and you know we think we should you should make that up or and I've never had a parent say that for a student who was really good you know, (laughs) or really into the lessons. And consequently, it's hard to give back as a teacher when that's the case. But when I've got um, students and parents who are on board with what I'm charging and with my policies, and I I feel like that's just the start of the increased likelihood that they're going to put in the work and that they're going to want to be receptive to what I have to say. And that's going to make me more receptive as a teacher to give back to them. Yeah, this flywheel of just positivity. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's actually kind of funny going through the podcasts uh, that you've been on before because I think one that I heard from two or three years ago, you were talking about you had about 30, 30 something students. And the most recent one I heard, I, it was under 20, right? It was like maybe you, it's going down. <laughs> I'm trying. My goal was to go down to 10. Right. Um, and I'm about 15 that I'm currently teaching. And it's really hard. Right. Uh, David, you know, I have two young children. Um, I'm running a company and, you know, I'm trying to, you know, write and create too. And so I, I'm, I, I really love it. And, right. you know, be, I've been doing this here in Seattle so long that I'm teaching like siblings. Right. And, you know, people that have kind of come, have matriculated through the, 
the scene that I just, I really don't want to miss out on their formative experience. And I feel, um, you know, I feel like I really want to be a part of it. Uh, but it's definitely something I've had to try to work really hard to, to filter back a little bit. Right. And I know, uh, the big part of why you're having to filter back is because of your increased involvement in Fonz. So you are the co-founder, uh, co-creator of, of Fonz. And, uh, this is something that I definitely think our freelance musicians want to know about something that might make their job easier as a teacher on that side of things. So tell us about Fonz. Sure. Yeah. If, so Fonz is, uh, in its essence, it's a business platform for gig or appointment-based music, musicians like ourselves. Right. And you could break it. And basically it was initially built for me to automate my music school. You know, my, my, my wife, Allison ran the music school, spent a lot of time doing it. We spent a ton of time, like what you were saying, sending invoices, explaining to people why we were charging them for the lesson they blew off the month before. And, you know, it was, you know, we just left a lot of money on the table and it took a lot of time. Right. And as a sensitive human being, I didn't enjoy that. I didn't enjoy the process of having a student have to give me a check or I didn't enjoy the process of having to say, hey, did your mom remember to pay you me? Or that took a lot of the joy out of the, the musical experience for me. Right. So Fonz is basically a way to automate that connection between a client and a teacher or a- anybody that works in appointment-based business. You know, we, we serve other verticals as well. But it's it's awesome. It's it's sent. You could think of it almost like an Uber for a music teacher, right? Right. And we we automate different billing models. But the thing that we do in each case is we eliminate invoicing, right? right? So there's no more invoicing. It's like if you work with me, you sign up, you enter a secure payment method, and in one of these ways that we charge you, like it could be after each session, your card gets billed, and uh, the system automates the cancellation policy. It sends out a text notification. If you're online, it'll send an email that will um, have your Zoom link or whatever it is that you're, you're teaching or your Musee link. And it basically, we just iron out we, the friction of doing this type of work, right? To where we right. say, like you were talking about these policies, we mm-hmm. automate the cancellation policies. If you blow off a lesson with me today, the system has already told you that we had a lesson. It texted you. It's going to bill you. Right. Right. And you know it. And, there, and, it, and it reduces the difficult conversations of what makes doing this work lame. Yep. Right. Because the work itself is fabulous. And, you know, I was our first customer, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was really lucky to just be connected with, you know, someone who's basically a household name in Silicon Valley, one of the great minds currently in technology who took a real interest in what we were doing uh, and basically helped me put together a team uh, to develop this thing. And so we've been working on it for years and it's really it's it's a really beautiful platform and that not only does it automate the business side of things, it also helps you with marketing. You know, it helps. It's got SEO built into where people can find you. Nice. Uh, and, our, and our customers get new students from it. And we've also built a really great community around it of providers just from all over the world that are helping each other out with how to get these first students, how to grow a studio, how to charge what you're worth. Um, so it's 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 a really great project. I'm nice. really proud to, to be a part of it. Nice. So, you know, one way that my audience differs from full-time music teachers is that um, you're going to have these two, three, four-week periods where you're you're in the pit every night and you can't teach those evenings. So you have to take those times off, but then you got in between times. So that's when you, so the teaching is irregular. So how does Fonz help musicians like that? It's optimized for it. 
Nice. Right. And because I mean, I'm running a technology company right. and I'm teaching like 15 students. So like my schedule, I have, so I choose an appropriate billing model, mm-hmm. right. That has less, um, commitment to it. Right. right? So I'm not like charging a s- semester tuition or something like that. I, you know, and there's three or four models that you can choose from, but I choose one that allows me to be flexible. Right. Right. And so I can either do per appointment or I can sell a package, but the system also has a public booking option, mm-hmm. right? Where I can say, okay, I'm not going to be teaching for the next three weeks. Uh, I'll be opening back up in March. Right. And right. here's this, it's just like kind of a, uh, a link where they can go to and see what availabilities you have then. They can book it when you do have openings. So it gives you a lot of freedom on both sides to have a really flexible uh, and profitable, whether it's full-time or part-time, you know, able to fill your schedule up when you want to. Right. Well, that's good. That's very helpful. Um, You know, we were talking um, earlier, uh, it may have been before we were recording, you know, about Twitter, social media. And uh, one thing I got from you, I think it was via Twitter, it was talking about the books of uh, is it David Cutler, the savvy musician. The, I still haven't read the savvy musician, but I've read the savvy music teacher. And I'm just, I would just say if you're, it doesn't matter if you've been teaching 20, 30 years, or if you're looking to start tw- in 2022 with your first student, just go find that book, buy it, take notes on it. <laughs> uh, because one of the things that I, I've heard you say before uh, is that you have something that's based on that book, which is the introduction of the subscription model, which I think pit musicians really need to look into. It's, uh, you know, it's basically you're not paying for a lesson every week. You're paying for a certain number of lessons within a certain amount of time. And uh, it sounds like Fonz is, is able to do that. And, you know, and the, that model, let me just, if it's okay, because sure. that, that's something I love, is, is we actually are moving away from the, and David's a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. He's a great thought leader, if, if, if you don't know. And we actually built a lot of this model around that book. Right. And the concept is what we do is you're saying not number of lessons. Okay. You're saying to be part of my community. Right. And okay. so, yeah, you're, I, and, and said, so, yes, I've divided this across the 12 months of the year, mm-hmm. knowing that there'll be times if I get a gig that I'll be gone. Right. But maybe when I'm gone, I'll like post a video right. Or something that, or, or maybe I'll set you guys in some groups. The concept is to have like your, your core audience of people that are paying you X amount of dollars a month that when you're there, they can study with you. And this does work great for pit musicians. Uh, Cause we know that as parents, like say I'm the person paying for this service. Mm-hmm. I just want to make it simple. I'm so right. busy. My kids just want, I want them to be in your circle or I want to be in your circle when I can. And the easiest way to do that is often to just have a flat rate that I pay every month. It's easier to budget. And if I, I'm paying it this month, but I know, you know, my son studies Capoeira very seriously. Mm. And his his master was in Brazil for the last month and a half. Right. We paid for Capoeira. We thought nothing of it right. because we know that he'll be back. And then exactly. we'll be doing, you know, that thing. So it's a, it's a very powerful model for people that are trying to uh, have a consistent form of income. Right. right. I have 30 or 20 people that pay me 300 bucks a month that starts on, that comes in on the first of every month. Right. So on the first of every month, I have six grand hit my bank account. Right. Which really helps. Yeah. Right. And, it's, exactly. and that's manageable or, um, you know, and there, there's other ways to do it that can, that can focus more on like, I'd really want to generate a lot of revenue or I want to make it super flexible. But yeah, I, I love David's concept. I think it's great. Excellent. Um, what are some of your goals for 2022 uh, for you personally, whether it's for Fonz or other aspects of your life? 
That's a great question. You know, I am working really hard to maintain a creative spirit, Mm -hmm. right? So I've been doing, I'm making time to practice and to create music uh, that is not connected to making money and Mm -hmm. to playing music that I want to play and trying to feel and express emotion because I think the last couple of years have been really hard as humans, right? And so that, that, that's a big personal goal. Um, Fonz is growing and, you know, my goal is to continue managing that and running that and keeping that mission and building that community. That's so beautiful. Right. And bringing more people into it and seeing more people earn better livings. You know, that's very gratifying. Right. You know, so that it's also very hard. Right. Right. The bigger it gets, the more difficult it is. You know, we're dealing with a lot more investors and you know, we raised a fundraising round last year and, you know, we're really seeing it as it works. It puts more strain on it and there's more features that are required. And we're looking at supporting national companies and their, in their, in their processes. So, you know, there's, there's, I'm really, that's a, always a primary goal of what I'm doing. And so I think finding balance and at the end of the day, being a good dad and a good teacher, right. Right. Um, those three, it's really hard to manage all three of those. Right. So I, my goal is to kind of just keep, you know, sharing good energy and working really hard and trying to have all these, these things just kind of juggling and keep landing in the right spot. Right. Um, so I thought about a question. It was, you know, before I sent a, a, you know, a list of things that I was going to talk about that just popped in my head, thinking about all these things that you do, all these things that I do. Uh, do you have any tips for time management, just keeping it all straight? Yes. Mm-hmm. The things, uh, a couple things. One is I love atomic habits. Yeah. I, and I love that book. I mm-hmm. love the concept. I love the idea of starting small and doing things every day because mm-hmm. it's effective. Yep. Uh, I mean, we're all musicians, so we all have had periods of our life where we're practicing four to eight hours a day, mm-hmm. and we manage that really well, right? right? And as the older we got, the more we were able to get, we learned about efficiency in our practice, mm-hmm. right? And how to get more, like I'm sure everyone here listening got more in three hours of practice post-music school than they did in seven hours of practice pre-music school. Right. We, we work with great teachers that showed mm-hmm. us how to manage our time. Uh, the other one is focus, mm-hmm. is that you know you can only really do one thing well at a time. And yeah. this is something I'm learning because I love to multitask, is to, is to uh, I use a Kanban board. If, I don't know if people know that. It's a Trello is a, a version of it. Right. Where you're basically, you have your tasks, they are prioritized in order of importance yeah. uh, and urgency. And you only go to the top list in that task. Right. And when that task is done, you move on from it. Uh, I feel like musicians especially really benefit from uh, being able to prioritize and list and focus on one thing because we're so we're, we're scattered by nature. Right. Right. We like being a little bit everywhere. We're creatives. Exactly. All right. You uh, you you offered a book re- recommendation there, and I've read it too and love it. Uh, Atomic Habits. I I also offer one that harmonizes what you said, which is uh, Deep Work by Cal Newport, yeah. and kind of that same concept. And uh, one thing I love about it is that challenges me is um, that you should have deep work, but you should also have periods of of boredom. And, you know, it's very hard. I, I carry this phone with me everywhere, and it's always got an audiobook or music or podcast playing on it. It's hard for me to just press pause and just listen to nature and just go for a walk. And But I try to make myself do that every so often, and it, it really recharges in a way that it doesn't if you're just always doing something, but sometimes it doesn't serve any purpose. That is such good advice. Yep. <laughs> um 
let's talk a little bit about uh, so what, whether people are, are saying fine sounds like a great thing I, I want to sign up today or whether they need to think about it some more you have a great community on Facebook that I was drawn to after the first podcast episode I heard you um, called Fonz Family and it's on Facebook and I, one thing I, I like about it of course is that it addresses Fonz specific questions and concerns and, and you can probably by now search by you know do a search to find any answers that you want on there but uh there's it's kind of a supportive group in terms of business and um and, and one thing i guess i would also add to it and i hope i hope this doesn't turn anybody off because because to me it's kind of a, a real thing you, you see sometimes people post when they're struggling you know uh like things are not going well so it, it's it's a chance to kind of see you know yes it's helpful what we do matters but it's not always roses all the time there's some challenges in there so uh you know how how beneficial has the Fonz family group been for you well it's been it's one of my favorite parts Mm -hmm. of the process you know we it's been great for feedback yeah you know a lot of like the our design you know when I, I came into this thinking I knew everything about teaching music right and then over you know or whatever and then over the years of meeting different people and studying and learning from them you know, this is where we get ideas for what we bake into our platform. But right. the community aspect of it is that there's a lot of people in that in that group that that don't yet use Fonz. And right. it's the, the rules are you have to be kind and encouraging and serious about doing good work. Yeah. Right. Because what we we feel like if we can be a little piece of the whole strata of these thoughtful knowledge leaders doing better in the world, you know, mm-hmm. earning better livings, then it's really a great use of our time. And what's happened is so many friendships have popped up out of there. Right. You know, because me as a guitar teacher in Seattle, yeah. I mean, I don't compete. I'm, I'm the past president of the Seattle Music Teachers Association. I don't really compete with a guitar teacher that lives five miles from me. Right. Right. There are not enough guitar teachers in Seattle. We're all slammed. Yep. I get like three phone calls a week and I'm handing out students because I can't take any more. Um, and especially not for me to be friends with, you know, uh, James Tressler in New York, who's a piano teacher. Right. Or, and if I meet somebody and a kid comes up to me and they're like, Hey, I'm looking for this person. I might say, Oh my gosh, you need to talk to Tony Parla piano in Massachusetts. Right. He's online. And that's where the community has become so powerful is you've had all these people helping each other out, realizing we're not really in competition. Right. So for us to have best business practices, um, and to share them, it's everybody can win. And this is a rare thing where none of us are in competition, we're all about realizing that there's more than enough, right? And so right. if somebody comes in and says, oh my gosh, I'm struggling so much, I can barely pay my bills, blah, blah, blah. And everyone can say, dude, you're in a position, you can double your rates, see yeah. what happens. And then they do it. I mean, there's there's stories in there right now of, of new people that have come on, automated their systems. Maybe they just don't have a lot of acumen. They're not comfortable yeah. asking people for money. They automate it. Yep. Suddenly they're making twice as much. Uh, and that is, it, it's just been a really great experience to get to know people and to, you know, share and support. Right. It's great. So I'd encourage everybody out there, if you're not already, you know, just, uh, I think if you type in Fonz family and above it, just in case, in case you don't see it written down, F-O-N-S, just one word, F-O-N-S family. Um, I think it's, it's definitely worth, you know, uh, subscribing to join and just seeing what everyone else has to say. And of course, you know, it, give consideration, you know, especially if you're a teacher or doing something gig based to go ahead and, you know, get the app and make your life easier. Um, 
Eric, it's been great chatting with you today. Uh, where can people, other than the Fonz family group, where can people follow you or uh, find out more about Fonz in general? Yeah, well, you know, Fonz.com is mm-hmm. our, our our website and mm-hmm. uh we have you're welcome to go there and check it out uh i'm i am totally happy to talk with anybody about this all the time it's right. a passion of mine uh we're always at fonts family i'm at eric branner on twitter obviously yeah i love to connect with people there right. and we have and have meaningful conversations uh but yeah would love would love to hear from anybody excellent uh, well, again, it's it's great it's great following you, seeing what you're doing, and uh, I love the passion that you bring to everything that you're doing. And I, I think if everyone would bring that passion to what they do, the world would be a better place. So, <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Well, thank well, you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really, I'm, it's been great chatting with you, David. And that wraps up episode number sixty-three. Uh, but before we go, um, just a few announcements. Just um, that I'm, I'm really happy to report. Um, I brought Eric on just for the conversation that we had because I found a lot of value in it. Um, but then very soon afterwards, uh, we chatted. And I'm just really happy to announce that at last, Life in the Pit has its first sponsor. Fonz is an app um, that I believe fits the ideal world of the freelance musician, uh, i.e. the pit musician. So as you'll see on the show notes for this episode and episodes going forward, and uh, you'll also find this at the website, uh, there's going to be, um, in the case of the website, a, uh, a symbol for uh, a logo for Fonz that you can uh, click on, but uh, also a link in the show notes that you'll be able to click on starting with episode number 63, uh, where you can go to Fonz if this is something that you would like to even check out and um, see if this is something that will work for you and you can um, you can click that link and go check out their product and uh, see, see if this is something that will work for you and um, and each time that you click through that link um, and uh, for, for anybody who signs up life in the pit is a uh, is a beneficiary so you are supporting not only a great company like Fonz but you are also supporting uh, this podcast, for which I am immensely grateful. So very p- excited to be partnering with Eric and Fonz to share his great service with the wonderful listeners of this podcast. And one last thing, while I think today's episode was a huge guest, uh, I mean, I didn't even mention this, but uh, Eric ha- has several other podcasts he's coming up on, including one that I follow um, called... Uh, T-E-M, uh, The Entrepreneurial Musician, which is another great podcast you should check out if you like Life in the Pit. He's going to be a guest on there. And, um, well, so he was a great guest sort of outside the pit. Well, I have a really big guest coming up on the next episode, episode 64, from Inside the Pit. And um, I'm just going to leave a teaser for right now. Um, but I was just going to say it's somebody who might be the most recognizable guest from within the world of musical theater that I've had on the show so far. And uh, we're going to be I'm just really looking forward to our chat. Uh, and that'll be available in two weeks on episode number 64. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Life in the Pit Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or 
on Twitter or Facebook at David M. Lane Music. And as always, a special thank you to Mark Perolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. The theme music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can find out more about this podcast, leave feedback or donation at lifeinthepitpod.com. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app and please share with all of your friends. Thank you for listening.